This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joining with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. When I came in this morning, somebody said, I see Deanna did not dress you today. <laughs> what are you talking about? She did, actually. We got these when we were in Eastern Europe. You probably can't get all this at Kohl's, I realize, but, you know, hey. <laughs> and my lovely Deanna's coming back today. She's watching. Hello, Deanna. Uh, those of us here at the uh, uh, Green Bay campus, uh, Becky had a story where she talked about being at uh, youth camp. Where'd she go? She took off. She's with the kids. Anyway, I was going to make fun of her. She was, she was telling the story about one of the kids at youth camp had a stick and on the end it impaled it with a, with a rubber duck. And I was whipping it around and stuff like that. And she was laughing about it. But in the first service, she didn't say rubber duck. I thought she impaled a duck, the, the guy. <laughs> no, I'm serious. And she came up and he impaled a duck and he's waving around, she's laughing. I'm thinking, ooh. Man, she's stronger than I am. I'd have been hurling. I just sneak up on a duck and do that. Yeah! Wow! Rubber duck. All right, now I'm with you now. Now I get a little violent youth camps over there. Um, <laughs> Uh, back in February, when we were having all those miserable storms, we had a guest speaker came, a guy by the name of Kevin Ramsby from uh, Detroit, Michigan, has this incredible story about how he'd been stabbed 50-some times or whatever it was, and how he survived and worked through all the forgiveness and all that stuff. Uh, the problem is most people didn't hear it, because you were all <laughs> snowed in. So uh, uh, he was calling me this last week and said he's going to be here uh, in town next week. And I said, coming through, and I said, well, stop in. You know, share again with the people. So if you miss that, make sure that you show up next Sunday so you can hear the story. It's really rather impressive. Or if you're, sometimes you go to a service and think, oh, I wish so-and-so would have heard it. This will be your chance to bring them so they can experience that. So look for that next Sunday. 
Uh, today I want to read to you from Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God wants to bless your life and he wants you to succeed. All of us, however, at times experience failure. Sadly, failure is a part of life. Uh, some of the greatest success stories, I think I was sharing this uh, a few weeks ago, that you hear people today who are great financial successes, um, you know, have gone through multiple failures. You know, they've had big bankruptcies and this and that, and, but they don't quit. Where most people would just throw up their hands and stop, these people just don't quit. History is full of this. Some of the greatest leaders in our, uh, in our history. I was uh, looking at uh, Abraham Lincoln. If you've, <laughs> you ever want to take a look at uh, his life. Uh, all of his life, he pretty much failed at everything that he did. He had multiple businesses. Everything he touched seemed to fall apart and fail. He ran for Congress and office, political offices numerous times and lost every single time. Uh, until he finally went for the presidency and somehow he got in. <laughs> I don't know how you do from Loserville to that, but he did it. And uh, as remembered, it's one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. Yet here is a man whose life was just marked repeatedly with failure. How do these people go on to succeed? Because they don't let their failures define them, which is what I want to encourage you with on today's simple message. Failure is just a moment in time. Do not let it define you by becoming a permanent statement of who you are. You have to push past it. Learn from it what you can, uh, but you have to push past it. Don't let it dominate your life. We see this throughout the scripture. Some of the great men of faith that we revere today were at times huge failures. I want a few I want to look at today. We'll start with Moses. We know the story of Moses. God calls Moses, puts on his heart to deliver his people. Uh, he starts out as a mess. He uh, kills a guy. And he has to run for his life. And he winds up in the backside of the wilderness for 40 years before he encounters this burning bush. And God speaks to him. says, go to Pharaoh. Tell him to let my people go. And he does. Pharaoh doesn't want to let him go. And God starts showing up and does some of the most amazing, powerful miracles the world has ever seen. There's never been anything quite like it since then. Uh, you know, sometimes people say, wow, why doesn't God just do great big miracles and everybody would believe? Apparently not, because he did incredible things the Egyptians still didn't believe, and even the Israelites themselves did not believe. And they saw stuff, a lot of us would pay big money to see, and it still made no difference. See, there's a difference between seeing with your heart and seeing with your eyes. Just because you see with your eyes won't change your heart. You got to come in faith. Anyway, Moses has set the people free. They come out, they cross the Red Sea miraculously. They're on the other side in the wilderness, and then God calls him up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. So he tells the people, I'll be right back. We're going to see what's next. He's going to lead this new nation. And he goes up there. He's up there for 40 days. By the time he comes back, these people had completely gone off the rails, completely lost faith, despite everything they'd seen in a month. Holy cow. Short amount of time. By the time he comes back, they had taken a gold and made a cow and they were worshiping the cow which you just don't do if you're from Wisconsin for heaven's sakes and, and they're worshiping their cow and they're dancing around the cow and they're worshiping they're sacrificing to them and uh, so Moses is getting the Ten Commandments and God says okay you need to get down there things are getting a little out of hand 
well, what's going on? So he comes down, and uh, we pick it up in verse 19 of chapter 32 in Exodus. This is when Moses approached the camp and saw this golden calf and the dancing, they're all dancing around this thing. He got so mad, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, <laughs> and made them drink it. And he says to Aaron, who's supposed to be in charge, what did these people do that you led them to such great sin? And Aaron has his excuses, blah, 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 blah. In verse 25, Moses saw that the people were running wild, that Aaron had let them get out of control, and so they became a laughing stock to their enemies. This had to be a very discouraging day to Moses. Here he is to be this great leader, leading a new nation, and everything's out of control already. A month into the deal, it's a big wreck. Now, a lot of people at this point would just hang it up. I'm a failure. It didn't work. I'm not the leader I thought I would be. I tried, blah, 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 blah. But Moses did not. He's no way ever been regarded as a failure. He's one of the greatest successful leaders in the history of mankind, the great lawgiver. You go to our institutions in Washington, and even the Supreme Court, you'll see carvings of Moses because of what an incredible success he was. But on this day, he was a miserable failure. In fact, if you keep reading, you'll find out that he had a lot of days just like that one. Why did he wind up being a great success? Because he didn't stop. He didn't let his failures, these downturns, imprint on him. They are not what defined his life. And at times he struggled. I mean, in the end, He's so messed up, God wouldn't even let him go into the promised land. <laughs> that had to be discouraging. Your whole life's about getting into the promised land, right? They finally get there. God says, you don't get to go in, smarty pants, because he got real impatient with God and did something he shouldn't have done. And, you know. But no way is his life considered a failure. It is an incredible off-the-chart success because his failure did not define him. We talk about Samson. Now, Samson is a study in failure. Here, this guy has, he grows up, good Jewish boy, doing, hearing the right things all his life. But by the time he turns a young man, he starts going off the rails. He's got a problem. He's got a problem with the ladies. He likes the goyles. No guy here's ever experienced that. Anyway, so, I like the goyles, the goyles. You know, what a transformation. Remember when you were nine, they just grossed you out? Ooh, ugh, ugh. Then 14, like, holy cow, look at that. You know what I'm saying? Everything changes all of a sudden. And, uh, and that's okay, but you got to control yourself. He did not control himself. He was a mess. He was drinking hard. He was just really doing everything he should not be doing. He eventually hooks up with this troublesome chick by the name of Delilah, one of these Philistine chicks. The Philistines were their enemies. And he's got this illegitimate affair going with her. And, uh, and I tell you, you go down some of these paths, you just don't think straight. And he wasn't thinking straight. Here, this chick is trying to kill him, destroy his life. And she kept asking him, how can I destroy you? And, you know, when a chick starts telling you that, it's time to move on. You know what I'm saying? Find another chick. You know, and so he's, she says, well, how can I destroy you? I don't know. Well, and then he'd make up stories about how to do it. And, and of course, they couldn't do it. And, uh, 
he'd fall asleep and they were doing all this stuff to him, tying him up and all these things. I said, how could he sleep so sound? Because undoubtedly he was hammered out of his ever-loving mind. And uh, so we read to this, we pick up the story now in Judges, that's where it's recorded in the Old Testament, the 15, 16th chapter, verse 15. Then uh, Delilah says to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? She's <laughs> just manipulating him. This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. In other words, you still haven't told me how I can destroy you. And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. And no men said amen. All right, so he finally told her, okay, look, no razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become weak as any other man. Well, Delilah saw that he had finally told her everything. He's, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come on back, guys, he told me everything. So the rulers come back with the money that uh, they promised to give her. After putting him to sleep uh, on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his head. So they're shaving his head, he's still asleep. And so it began to subdue him, and his strength left him. And she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and he thought, I'll just go out before and shake myself free. But he did not. The Lord, the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes. Now, this is not a surgical procedure with a nice clean knife. This is hard. Can you imagine getting your eyes gouged out? Man, if I get an eyelash in my eye, I'm miserable. Gouge him out his eyes. And they took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. Now, you have got to assume this guy felt like an unmitigated failure. Here he is, no longer the great man. Eyes have been gouged out. He's in chains. He doesn't have his strength. And he's pushing and grinding out grain. You think he felt like a failure? Can you imagine how his parents felt? In Judges, the 13th chapter, we read the beginning of the story. A certain man named Zorah, of Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her, although they didn't quite realize it was an angel, it was more of a subdued appearance, and said to her, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to that you don't drink any wine or other fermented drink and that you don't eat anything unclean. You'll become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And then Manoah took a young goat together with grain offering, sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did this amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar towards heaven, this guy, they didn't realize it was an angel, uh, goes into the fire and ascends up into the flames. Whoa! Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We're doomed to die, he said to his wife. We've seen God. But his wife answered, look, if he meant to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our offering by our own hands, nor shown us all these things. Anyway, verse 24, what happens? She does get pregnant. As the angel told her, the woman gave birth to a boy named him Samson, and he grew, and the Lord blessed him. Now, every birth 
is a glorious miracle, as all you parents know. But when an angel shows up and disappears in the barbecue, you know, this is a special kid. You know what I'm saying? This is like, wow. This isn't just, what a blessing. This is holy cow. This is going to be great. Then they watch him as a young man start turning into a mess. And I'm sure they felt discouraged, and maybe they felt like a failure. And by the way, you know, sometimes you can do everything right with kids, and at some point they become their own person, and they start making their own choices. I know that people get very discouraged sometimes because, you know, their kids were raised in the church, and then they ran off the rails, and the parents just feel horrible. And literally, I see people, their faces are downcast. They don't get involved in the church anymore because they don't feel worthy because they let that failure define them. Look, if, if having kids who go crazy defines you as a failure, then the greatest failure in the universe is God. We're his kids. Have you looked around yourself lately? This place is a mess. So you can be the best parent in the world and still have kids that go a little nuts. You know, they did this, they did that. They got in trouble at school. My son got a girl pregnant. Maybe your daughter's the one he got pregnant. You know, whatever. And you think it's the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. I'm a failure. You know, you're not. You don't know how this is going to end up yet. Don't let any moment, any downturn in your life define you or your family. By any measure, the life of Samson is considered a great success. He did amazing things. And he succeeded in lifting the burden, the yoke of the Philistines off of the Israelites. Because in his final act, he killed so many and all their major leaders and stuff like that. They walked in freedom for a long time after that. His life, by any measure, is considered a great success. But if you look at it closely, it's stunning. The number of failures. <laughs> it's like I'm eating a bug up here or something. What is that? David. This is real interesting. At the end of David's life, we read this in 1 Kings, the 15th chapter, verse 5. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life. Quite the statement. Hyphen. Except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Except? This was a yo mama failure. This is the time David comes out on his castle. He looks down and sees a lady taking a bath. Which, by the way, ladies, curtains. And he goes, Hochi, mama, look at that. Gets involved with her, chases her down, seduces her, has sex with her, gets her pregnant, and then murders her husband, who was named Uriah, the Hittite. And not only did David kill him, he killed his whole platoon of men in, that was out in a battle. Uh, so he has the blood of many, many men on his hands just to cover the one illegitimate situation. So as soon as he was dead, he marries uh, Bathsheba, to cover the whole thing. This is a major thing. Yet, look what it says about David's life. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commandments all the days of his life. His life was considered an incredible success. He was the great king. Jesus was the son of David, they would cry out. Except in this case. But this is a big case. This is something I'm convinced the American church has no concept of, especially evangelical churches. Because if a leader stumbles in any way, man, they cut their heads off and stick it on a spike. I know pastors who have gotten fired 
because they admitted to their elder boy that he was struggling in his marriage. Seriously, if you're married, you're struggling in your marriage. <laughs> they destroy this guy's life because of this overzealous. Be nice, Mark. <laughs> Don't cuss in the pulpit. This ridiculous nonsense of trying to be so righteous about everything, just wanting to kill people when they make mistakes. We don't get this. Man, they, the pastors have paid a lot of big price. I get it, if your pastor's fighting God in his heart and going cold and rebellious and turning his back on God, I, I get that. Because a man stumbles and fails. Some of the greatest talent the church has ever seen today is on the sidelines because they messed up one way or the other and in the church there's really no forgiveness even though we preach forgiveness. It's a horrible thing. It's such a stain on it. If we would have been in charge of Israel at this time. We'd have thrown David out. No question. There's not one denomination who wouldn't throw him out for what he did. That's how far we are from the heart of God. We don't get this stuff. I'm telling you, we don't get this. I know sometimes I'm, I feel like I'm talking into the wind on this, but I will not stop. This is ridiculous. This man was an incredible man, an incredible success, greatly used by God and praised to the heights, even to this day even after a horrible thing. Well, he paid a price. Of course he paid a price. There's all kinds of people. You're going to pay a price when you mess up. And nobody doesn't. But here he's considered a great success. If we would be writing this today about a pastor, we would say, that pastor, he was that horrible guy who had that affair with Uriah's wife. That would be our definition. But not their definition. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in this one deal. And it was a big deal. But why is it not considered a dis complete disaster? Because they did not let a single event define them. Are you hearing me? Some of the greatest men that we revere to this day were absolute wrecks. You got Peter. Simon Peter, he was the top of the food chain. Number one disciple. They're at the Lord's Supper, communion. First time, the Lord's Supper, the, this final thing before Jesus is crucified. Jesus looks at uh, Simon and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as, as wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthening your brothers. Turn back? What do you mean turn back? I ain't going anywhere. I'm the man. I'm the number one man. And he says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. He's boasted, I'm not going anywhere. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me in one day. Yet that very day, and as we know, that's exactly what happened. And when he realized what he had done, he ran off and wept bitterly. But why was Peter eventually considered a success? Because he did not let, and that's a big fail. You know, who was the other guy who failed at that time? was Judas. He betrayed Jesus. Peter turned his back on Jesus. What's the difference? Judas goes out. It defined him. He allowed it to find him. goes out and hangs himself. But not Peter. He says, I'm not going to let this define me. This will not be my final stand. All of these succeeded greatly despite major failures in their life. Failure is just a moment in time. Do not let it define you by becoming a permanent statement of who you are. You have 
to push past it. Learn from it, but don't let it dominate you. And I know so many people, this went wrong in their life, or that went wrong, or they made this mistake, or I got divorced and I didn't really plan on this, and it just hangs over them all their life. And this is how they view themselves. And they stay in this awful place. Don't stay there. My life has been, I've had so many failures, you have no idea. People say, what school did you go to? I went to the school of hard knocks. It's true. I had to break this to you for those of you who don't know, but I never went to Bible college. I was one of these first guys doing uh, these correspondence courses and stuff. Well, how'd you learn what you're doing today? It's called School of Hard Knocks. Learn from your failures. Learn from your failures. Stick your head in the fire. Ouch, let's not do that again. When I first started speaking into couples, wrote this book, Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage, started doing these seminars, I was mocked, ridiculed, despised by the professionals of the day. This was 15 years ago, you know. Who is this guy? He doesn't even have a degree. Who is this guy? Nielsville High School graduate. And I barely got through that. <laughs> I was to pray, oh God, just give me a D. I'm not kidding you. Not exactly the sharpest stick in the pile through school. And these guys just looked down their noses and had fits. Here I am, 15 years later, doing what I'm doing, speaking all over the world. U.S. military uses my program. We're the number one program for speaking into the lives of military families in America. And my son Phil was just in uh, Guam last week. He's a mini-me, <laughs> doing the same thing. And he was speaking to couples down there and he met this uh, military, uh, what, what was she again? Psychologist. And she's talking, oh man, we just love your dad. We just love your dad. In fact, we studied his book in our, uh, our master's degree program. <laughs> Phil started laughing. She said, why are you laughing? She says, when we started, you all thought he was an idiot. <laughs> now they're studying me if you want to get your master's degree and working with a couple. How did that happen? Just keep going. Just keep going, plodding through. Don't let your failures define you. Good preaching, Pastor. <laughs> Here he's begging for a clap. Shameless man. Failure should be a temporary event. Don't make it a permanent state. If you mess up, you ask God to forgive you, teach you, learn from it, let him strengthen you, and you move on. Nobody likes to fail. We're all humiliated by failures. All of these guys I just read about were horribly humiliated by their failures, but they were temporary. They did not define them. They moved forward, and their life was considered a great success. So. No matter what you've gone through, and some of you are going through things right now that makes you feel horrible. I know, because you talk to me. You feel ashamed, you feel downcast. Don't do that. Don't say, well, I messed up. I know. Well, I'm a terrible parent. You know, my kids, no, 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 no. Well, they want to do it. That's all right. Just, it's just a moment, all right? Always realize there's great potential in you. Remember what the Bible said we just read at the beginning. God says, I got a plan for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to make you succeed.
It seems sometimes we get in the way of God's plans. You know what I'm talking about? But you can't get in the way of God's plans. You know, God isn't freaked out when you do something. You know, it's not like he goes, oh, myself. I didn't see that coming. You know, he knows exactly what's coming. But he still has a plan for you. And you need to walk in. I'm going to ask our ushers at our campuses to come and get ready to serve communion. This is where we're going to focus now on what Jesus did for us on that cross 2,000 years ago. This is what makes it possible to move past failure. It's called forgiveness. His body was broken so that we could be whole. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. And there's people listening to me right now all over the world, through the internet, television, and our services. You know, maybe you've, you're listening to this and you're going, man, I, I feel like such a failure. Look, it's, at some point, we've all made a lot of mistakes. We've all done a lot of failure. We've done things we shouldn't have done. We've avoided doing things we should do. All of these are failures. Sometimes you're stuck in a situation you have no control over and you feel like a failure. But God has a plan for you. If you will allow his forgiveness and grace into your life, you can start to allow him to bless you and to move past your failures and into his glorious light. I'm going to pray a prayer together. I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer with me. If you've never truly uh, asked Christ into your life, you can pray this prayer with us and start your first steps of faith today and begin to experience what we're going to be celebrating as we take communion. Let's all bow our heads together and pray this. Say, Dear Jesus, I've had many failures in my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I choose now to follow you. Amen.